So this morning, I'm, I'm one of those guys that very often, it takes repetition before I get anything. It's like very often God will say something or my wife will say something. And the first time I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But it doesn't really sink in until the third, the fourth or the fifth time, unfortunately. It's, it's how we work as humans. And I, I was preparing this week. I was like, Lord, what do you want to speak to us about? What do you want to speak into our lives? What do you want to encourage us with this? And I felt the Holy Spirit wanted to stay where we were last week. And I wanted to continue talking about hardship and difficulty and pain and, and life. And the, the Holy Spirit wanted to draw a new emphasis on it. And so I, this morning, I want to do something really simple with us. I want to read a Bible story. When I'm going to read, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to give you the reference so you can go and read it for yourself. But I want to tell you the most Hollywood story you've ever read in your Bible. It is the, the, the part in the Bible that most people like to skip out because it's very weird and we don't know how to justify it. We're like, that's in the Bible. Like, what do you mean? It is full of scandal and people and their hearts and their motives. And the, and the whole point of these scriptures in the Old Testament is to show us God and his character and how he responds to us. And so this morning, I want, to, I want to tell us this incredible story of Rachel and Leah. Who knows the story of Rachel and Leah? And I hope you know it wrong. <laughs> I hope there's a part of you this morning that will be like, oh my goodness, I didn't see it that way. Because very often in the Bible, when we read this story, we see Rachel as the hero. Rachel as the, and, and actually how Leah is incredible in this story and how God uses this woman in her brokenness, in her terrible marriage, in her relationship with a husband who doesn't even love her, and how in this pain she is able to find God in it and what the Lord chooses to do through her because of what she goes through. And I hope that out of this, you can relate your life and your situation and what you're going on. And so the background is, we have Jacob, this, this very interesting character that just as a point of reference, God chooses to make this guy one of the fathers of Israel, and he is known as the deceiver. No, there wouldn't be Lucifer, there wouldn't be the devil, there would be one of the fathers of our faith is known as the deceiver, the trickster. And what he does growing up, he already, at birth, he clings onto his brother's heel coming out the womb. He steals his birthright from his brother. He steals his inheritance from him, and he flees. He runs away, and then this is where we're going to pick up in the story. And so Jacob arrives. He meets his uncle in the desert. I found that really weird. I thought that's something that only happens where I'm from in Brackpan when you knock on a door, and it's like, hey, and you're like, Shema Um. Oh, lekker. It's a joke. Everybody's related to everybody in Brackpan. That's why you can't marry anybody there. You have to go outside. If any of you guys listen from Brackpan, I'm really sorry. And so Jacob finds an uncle, and somehow this is all okay. And um, in the process, he falls in love with Rachel. And the Bible describes Rachel as being beautiful and with a lovely figure. And Jacob, of course, is not superficial or fleshy like anybody else. That's not what he's in this for, obviously. 
And Jacob is like, oh my. I don't know what part of him was like, oh my, that's my cousin. I don't know why I didn't go there. <laughs> oh my goodness. I will do anything to be with her. And so Jacob falls madly in love with Rachel. He is head over heel. I can imagine that every time he sees her, and he strikes a deal with Laban. I will work for you for seven years if I can marry Rachel. Laban's like, okay, now we're talking. Labola, just so you know, I'm doing this with my daughters as well. Okay, you want to marry my girls? Cool, seven years. It'll be either seven years salary or seven years labor, I don't mind. And so Jacob, and the story hasn't even got scandalous yet, Jacob now works these seven years. He's trying to turn his life around. He's running away from a life of trickery and deceit where him and his mother teamed up against his dad and they stole from his brother. Yep, the father of our faith, Jacob. If you ever wonder if God can use you, well, if he can use Jacob, he could use you. And so on to the wedding day. And Jacob is, I can imagine, who of you remember your wedding day? That moment, I remember for me, I was young. If you don't remember it because you're single, you can live through my memory. I was standing in a hall and um, I was 21, so I was very young. Didn't know what I didn't know. I remember standing there and um, we had an open wedding for all of our friends and family. So we had like over 600 people at our wedding and I couldn't see anybody. And... Um, there came Sam, and I just remember that, ah, like, that whole thing, I cried, that ugly cry, that, ah, like, I, whenever I go to a wedding after this, I stand there, and whoever I'm with, I'm like, I bet you he cries. I remember being at Austin and Jedna's wedding, and I was thinking to myself, yes, big, brave, tough, Austin in a suit, he's going to cry. Truth, Bob, he cried. And um, so I can imagine Jacob getting ready, in their culture, way thicker veil. Way thicker veil. Here comes his wife, wherever the, the wedding would have looked like. He's so excited, butterflies, they have the party, they celebrate the wedding, and then comes the wedding night. And everyone's like, okay, surely at this point you're going to skip on because it's church. No, no, no. This story is full of this. This story is scandalous. That's why we sent the children out. We made sure that they are gone. And so it is after the party, so you can imagine what wedding parties are like, and it is night time. And Laban brings his daughter into the tent, and he leaves her with her husband to consummate the marriage. And in the morning, the ESV says this, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. I don't want to know, there is so much missing in the story over there, like... Between she walked into the tent, and behold, it was Leah. <laughs> and the Bible doesn't describe Leah very well. It doesn't say Leah was lovely with an amazing finger, figure. It says, and Leah had weak eyes. How's that for a compliment? Her sister was beautiful, but Leah had weak eyes. Like... Was there nothing good you could say? Nothing. Beautiful hair, amazing personality, none of that mentioned. 
And this is where the pain starts to creep in. Because can you imagine being Leah? You are your father's scheme. And it's not like, it's not like a bad joke that you laugh off the weekend after. You are now married to this man for the rest of your life. And your marriage will be built on deceit. You tricked him. Great story, eh? And so Jacob does what every husband in this situation would do. He throws his toys out the cot. And he goes to Laban. And it's, it's very funny because he is the deceiver. He has tricked his whole life. He has schemed. And he goes to his uncle and he says, How could you trick me? How is this fair? How can you do this to me? This is the last part we're going to see of Jacob in the story, by the way. And Laban's like, well, listen, I can't let the, the, the younger daughter marry before the older one. So what I'm going to do is, you give me another seven years, and you can have the other daughter. But I'll give you this one up front. It'll be like a car installment. You finish the honeymoon with Leah. Give her that. Finish the honeymoon with Leah, and at the end of the honeymoon, I'll give you Rachel, and then you have to pay it off over the next seven years. Balloon payment at the end. <laughs> and this is, now can you imagine, it's like I'm trying to tell it with humor, but I want you to realize the dysfunction of what this would have looked like in real life. Can you imagine, as a girl, please, men, you have no idea, you can just turn off for the next 30 seconds and reflect on the Springbok game. <laughs> Girls, can you imagine you have looked forward to getting married your whole life and your father uses you as a scheme to trick you. He doesn't think you're going to get married on your own. So he tricks you into a marriage and then you have to see out your honeymoon. That is the part of the getting married that the women are least interested initially. Honeymoon week. Honeymoon week, you have to see the night, and then your sister, your sister is joining the party. The one that your husband really loves and longs for. And when he sees her, his heart skips a beat. And he's worked for her, and he's willing to work for her. And for you, you were discarded, you were unloved. Stuck for the rest of your life in this marriage. So do you, this is incredible. What hap actually happens is, and so you can read this. Uh, we're not going to put the scriptures up as we go because I want to paraphrase. It's a long story. I'd love you afterwards to go and read this story for yourself in this week. Go and read it for yourself. It's in Genesis 29. It's an incredible story, but I'm going to paraphrase through for us, highlighting some points of importance so that it reads better. And so it says this in Genesis 29, 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And so here is a very messy situation where there is a man who's married multiple women. 
He's got the wrong motives. God, who agrees with me in saying these people should not be attracting God's favor right now? But in the middle of their mess, God sees Leah and he has compassion on her. And because Leah was unloved, God himself enables her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And this is, this is where you start to see the depth of the pain. And she named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. So even though God has seen Leah, God has made a plan for her. Leah is not concerned about what God's response is to her. Leah just wants what her wound is. She just wants him to love her. Do you see that often when God has compassion and reaches into our situation, it's very difficult to see through our pain. We struggle to see a God that is compassionate and kind and generous because we can't see past the husband who doesn't love us. And so soon she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. And she named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord has given me another son. Oh, the Lord heard I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me. Since I've given him three sons. Can you see the depth of the pain of this person, of Leah? That even though God has blessed her with three incredible sons, in those days, healthy babies and women surviving birth is not a commonplace. She's been given three sons. Sons are like a blessing. And in it, all she can think about is the pain that is in front of her, her situation. If we replace that unloving husband, we can put our work situation, we can put our financial situation, we can put our relationship situation. So often, no matter what God does in our life, we can't see through the hardship that we're facing every single day. Because it's not what we want. It's not the breakthrough, it's not the victory that I want. God, if you, no, 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 thank you so much for giving me friendship and family and community that are here to walk with me. That's not what I asked for. I asked for a job and more money. Like, it's cool that I get to go to come on a Wednesday night, and it's cool that I get to be a part of things, but what I actually need is finances, God. Like, hello, I didn't need this. We even get disappointed in him. But then something changes. And the whole story starts to shift. Something changes in Leah. In the middle of her brokenness, of her husband who doesn't love her, of her terrible marriage situation, once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. Had nothing to do with her husband anymore had nothing to do with, now my husband will love me. Now, no, no, no. Now I will praise the Lord. And she stopped having children. It's incredible. 
His name is Judah. That's going to be a special part of our story to remember. In the middle of the drama, there is Judah. Judah, the ancestor, the genealogy of Jesus. Judah, who becomes the tribe of Judah. And out of the tribe of Judah comes the lion of Judah. Jesus. But when Rachel, and this is where the story gets interesting. And so you have to understand that Jacob with his wives was never in one place. They were consistently on a journey, traveling all around, running from Esau, running from Laban, fighting people, hiding from people, doing deceiver things. That's, that's Jacob. So these women are in a marriage. It's dysfunctional. It's not supposed to be like this. One is unloved. The other is favored but can't have children. And they're on the road all the time. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. That is the escalation moment. Just so you know, the Bible in that situation, if you ever want to read your Bible, it's not literal. She did not have a disease that we do not yet know of where if you do not have children, you'll die. She is being like, if I don't have children, if Leah is going to outshine me, if she can have kids and I can have kids, if you can't give me joy, I'll die. Notice that Jacob's not the problem here. Something in Rachel. Then Jacob became furious, Rachel. Am I God? He's the one who has kept you from having children. So Rachel, and now this is when the story gets really dysfunctional. So Rachel says, fine, I can't have children. So she takes her maid. Her maid's name is Bilhah. And take my maid, Bilhah, and sleep with her. And she will give me children. Like, wow. Now Now we're trying to just break God's order of things just to get what we want. Instead of actually... Leaning into God no matter what my circumstance looks like. Trusting Him. Relying on Him. And so she gives her, her, her maid. So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as a wife and he slept with her. Jacob is not helping the situation right now. A little bit of self-control will go a long way, buddy. <laughs> Bilhah became pregnant and presented him with a son. This woman has a son. Rachel takes the son. This is my son now. This is a great name. Rachel named him Dan. (laughs) God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Do you think God has vindicated her? Has she gone out and done things on her own? And tried to tag on a little bit of Christianity at the end? Okay, fine. If that's not going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. You sleep with her and make her as your wife, and then I'm going to take the son, then I'm going to go, this is my son, and then I'm going to say, and God did it. How often do we make things happen and just tag it on with a little bit of Christianity at the end? That life, that promotion, that immigration, that. And look what God did. God did this amazing thing. In the meantime, you've kicked down doors and broken God's order to get what you want. And then you, to try and appease your conscience, you say, oh, but God's in it. Then Bilhah became pregnant again. Well done, Jacob. Gave Jacob a second son. 
Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I, listen to this, I'm, I struggled to compute this part. She names her son because of this. For I have struggled hard with my sister, and I am winning. She's called her son Naphtali because she feels like she's winning. She is also not, she is not doing great at maths. <laughs> Leah is on fourth son. Rachel is on two. Yet she is winning. She is seeing the world the way that she wants to see it. She is controlling. She is, and listen, in our hearts, before we judge Rachel, I just want to say there's a little bit of Rachel inside of every single one of us that wants to make plans and shift things and, and, and make our own way and do our own thing. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants to come through our Leah response, which is that now I will praise God. I'll yield in my unlovable marriage. I'll yield in my relationship with my failure of a husband who doesn't love me or care for me. And I won't even try and change him. I'll just find God in my circumstance. And I'll praise him. Meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. So she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And if you read the way this is written, it's actually written differently. As when Rachel takes the wife and gives her servants, it's not actually as a wife initially. It's, it's to make children. And so what happens with Leah is actually in, in the, because Jacob was meant to produce the nation of Israel after him, Leah selflessly gives her servant to her husband because she stopped having children. And if you go and read all the Hebrew takes on it, every single one of them, they all say there is a different posture between when Leah brings her son and you'll see in the names to come. When Leah gives her servant as a wife, she doesn't give her and she's now subject. She gives her as an equal. She becomes a wife. Leah is still the, the, the mother, the matriarch, but there's something very different in her response, and you can see it in the way she named her children. So she took her servant Zilpah and gave it to Jacob's wife. Soon Zilpah presented him with a son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, how fortunate am I. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son, and Leah named him Asher, for she said, what joy is mine. Now the woman will celebrate with me. Have you seen the shift in this lady? She went from trying to plug this black hole of pain in her life to celebrating and joy. And no matter what happens to her, she's seeing God in the situation. Flash to Rachel. This is crazy. At this point, if we stopped reading the story and I just said to you, who do you think God should side with? Who feels like God should give Rachel what she wants? I think most of us would be like, no, 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 she's, there's something wrong there, you know? But even in the middle of our ridiculous behavior or our fraught heart attitudes, there's an incredible father, and, and read what he does. Then God remembered Rachel. Rachel's fighting with her sister. She's got the worst intentions in her heart. There's nothing good coming out of her, but she is in pain, and God remembered Rachel. Rachel. He remembered what pain she was in. 
He saw through the outward behavior and he saw the heart of what she was going through and he remembers her. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and he answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. Do you know that there are, and, and I wish I had the formula, but there are times and moments where even when you are completely undeserving of it, because God remembers you and sees you and knows you and loves you, he will answer your prayers. Just because he's God and he's good. Sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with what we've done. And so don't take God answering your prayers as a sign of everything's okay with me and God. Don't take the fact that God gives you the thing you've been asking for as like, yo, me and God must be doing really well now. He gave me what I wanted. No, no, no. Even in Rachel's destroyed life and, and the relationships and the, she's causing Hollywood drama, God remembers her. And he remembers the pain that this is coming out of. And he gives her a son. And she has one of the saddest responses, in my opinion. In that moment, God, God sees her, and he reaches out, gives her a child. And she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. She said, God has removed my disgrace. And she named him Joseph. And she said, Lord, may you add another she didn't even enjoy what God had given her. She just wanted another one. Can you, there's just this miracle of the fact that she's had a son. And the second she has a son, she's starting to get what she wants. In her heart, there's so much bitterness and, and pain that's going on that even when God meets her prayer, she can't even thank God for the fact that he's meet, met her prayer. It's all about her. It's about the fact that now God has removed my disgrace. Let him give me another one. Sometimes these are our responses of our, Rachel and Leah represent what happens in our hearts, in our journey with Jesus. So often, even when God comes through with us in the way that we want, in the way that we're asking Him for, even in our response, it's like, okay, God, it's, uh, I need more. And in Genesis 35, verse 17, Rachel falls pregnant again. And she's got to travel with this baby. And after a very hard delivery, the, the midwife finally exclaimed, don't be afraid, you have another son. But Rachel was about to die. And with her last breath, she named, other translation would say, she cursed the baby. And she called him Benoni, son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the side of the road, on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And so what starts is the fairy tale story. Rachel, I mean, who has seen the story a little bit differently to how you thought about Rachel and Leah? We just thought it was the prom queen and the not prom queen. 
And Rachel dies cursing her baby, bitter, resentful. She doesn't even make it to the end of the journey. She dies on the way. This can happen in our faith. That if we allow our, our pain of what we're going, and I, and I want to say that I, I, and I'll highlight this, I empathize with pain that we go through. I empathize with difficult situations, but if you allow it to cloud you that you can't see anything but what is in front of you, you are at risk of dying bitter and alone on the side of the road and not even finishing the journey of faith that Jesus has called you to. And this is what happens in the church. Sometimes through pride and ambition, we don't get the things we want. God doesn't do things that we planned. And people get bitter. I can't believe that guy was made a leader. He didn't even greet me. I want to give a disclaimer. I'm, I'm taking this moment to cover my bum today. I am a massive introvert, believe it or not. This for me today, it takes a week of me like pulling myself together to get here and see so many people and preach in front. This is hard for me. My happy place, you can ask my wife, is alone in the mountains or in the ocean or on the desert. That's where I recharge. And so everything inside of me, this is a, it's a spending time. And what happens is I even come into meetings like this and I might look straight at you and not greet you. And it's got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with me and the fact that I'm extremely introverted and to sometimes cross this boundary across the room is difficult for me. And I still try to do it as best as I can. So if I ever give you a happy look and forget to follow through, please forgive. I promise you, I have the best intentions. I do this because I love you and I love Jesus and I love his church. And so I will continue as an introvert to be a better extrovert for the sake of the kingdom. That being said, how often in our faith journey have you seen Christians Die on the journey, on the side, bitter, resentful, and alone. So this is the crazy part of the story. Is that Rachel started off desperately just wanting a marriage where her husband loved her. I mean Leah. And by the end of her marriage, there's this most incredible thing that happens. And we don't know what happened after Rachel died. We don't know what happened after Leah died. But something happens that is quite profound. And that's after she dies, Jacob chooses to bury her. And, and watch what happens. He buries Rachel on the side of the road. But for Leah, he says this. In Genesis 49 verse 31. But I buried her there where Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried. And there I buried Leah. And he says, and I want to be buried next to Leah. So there is this incredible story of the fact that in our pains and difficulties that God empathizes and sympathizes and he can see you and he sees what you're going through and, he, and even though you might not look like you're getting the things that you want, actually, if you surrender to Jesus, 
If you yield to him, like Leah did, when she had Judah, and in the middle of everything, she said, no, 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 no. Now I will praise the Lord. And she, gets, she gives birth to Judah. And Judah, can, isn't that funny? Jesus sitting outside of time. Can you imagine? Before the creation of the world, he picks the genealogy of the people that he wants to come through before he gets to earth. And can you imagine the type of people that he picks? And when it gets to Leah, can you imagine? Jesus is saying, now there is this woman who's going to go through so much pain. And she's going to be unloved. And she's going to be disgraced and not looked upon. And her husband's going to reject her. But she's going to find me in the middle of her hardship. That is the woman that I want to come through. And in the middle of your life right now, in your most painful position, that is where Jesus wants to come through now. You know, an incredible part of this is that Judah, the tribe of Judah becomes, where Jesus comes from, is that salvation comes through us finding breakthrough and hardship. Through us finding purpose in the pain that we're going through. I want to read this scripture to you, and then I've got one little short story I want to use to emphasize. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15. But all this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. In the same way as Rachel and Judah and what was to come, that is why we never give up. Even though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are very small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. If you, as I'm reading the scripture, I hope you're thinking of the, the Leah moment of look what God did and look how it went into history. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Two Corinthians four verse seven. This was the one that I was going to start with. Sorry. But now we have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. We are all like a Rachel and a Leah. There is something inside of all of us that is striving for more and for what I want and for what I need, and for what I can get out of things, and to, for, for, and to take away my disgrace, and for my, me, 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 or for Leah, I'm unloved. He doesn't see me, he doesn't notice me, the leaders don't see me, God doesn't see me, woe is me, I'm on my own, I need to go eat worms and dig in a hole. We are like fragile clay jars, but we are containing this great treasure. 
this makes it clear. The fact that Rachel and Leah are so fragile, the fact that you and me are so fragile, makes it so clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And so this morning, God's not asking you to be an incredibly beautiful pot. He's asking you to be a fragile clay jar that would yield and surrender their life to Him in the middle of whatever you're going through. Your work situation, your relational situation, your financial situation, your whatever drama is going on in the back of your head, as I've said this preach the whole time. Most of us have had something that we've pointed it to. I want to say that God is a God who sees you in the middle of where you are right now. Renee, can you? Sorry. <laughs> I'd love to take a moment to respond. Can we just all bow our heads? Father, I pray that right now, wherever we find ourselves sitting right now, I pray that God, would you open our eyes to see the fact that you see us exactly as we are right now. I thought this morning that there are... Um, in specific, that there are there are Rachels, those who've uh, you've 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 actually calloused your heart, church leaders, people, friends. It's all the same. It all comes and goes. I'll just carry on doing my thing, and and if I got my thing done, if I'm if if I'll just go ahead with making children. I'll make my own plan. I'll get some other woman. I'll whatever it is. You've just your life is about making plans and getting on with things. And I'm saying that the Lord loves you this morning. He loves you this morning and he, wants, he doesn't want you to die bitter and alone on the side of the road, not finishing the race that he marked out for you to run. And there are some of us who are like Leah's, where we where we so question everything that God does around, does he love me or does he see me or does he know me or am I okay or am I not okay? Maybe your relationship is highlighted by the fact that you never feel okay in your relationship with God. Am I, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I in? Am I out? Is, am I doing okay now? Am I not doing okay? Where am I? 
felt like this morning, God wants to meet with you today, if that's you. I'll be honest, I can sometimes so often feel like a Leah. So often for me, I'm just like, God, you did this amazing thing in my life. Maybe now you, does this mean you love me? Does this mean I'm okay? And the Lord wants to come and he wants you to yield to him this morning. And so I want to ask, if you find yourself in that, either that Rachel or that Leah boat, could you stand with me? I'm standing this morning as well. I'd love to pray with us. God, I want to pray with an urgency for for those of us that feel like Rachel and that there is something inside of us that just wants to make our own plan and get on with things and get through things and, and just knuckle down and get through it. God, I pray, would you come right now? Would you see us? Would you meet with us, Holy Spirit? Father, for those of us who feel like the Leah and that that we're always struggling to find affirmation, always struggling to find love or, or a position of security in our relationships, whatever it is, would you come, Lord Jesus?